2: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the pod. I'm Ope and Danny's Irish Sanfield Road. Now obviously doing this pod has been amazing over the past year and a half, we've had a chance to be able to discuss Liverpool, we've had a chance to be able to get guests on and do amazing things and we've been able to bring on some fascinating guests and fascinating people and this week is no different because we have ex-Liverpool goalkeeper Chris Kirkland, on our programme to be able to t- chat about all things Liverpool, chat about what he's involved in and to be able to talk football, which is what this is all about. So thank you so much for coming on. Chris, how are you keeping?
3: Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, not bad. Not, not bad. It's been tough. I'm not going to lie. It's, you know, it's been when you think back to what's going on with lockdown, it's, it's been an horrendous time, really. Not being able to do what we, what we want to do, not being able to see family, friends. It has it has been really tough at times and, you know, some some bad days and good days like I'm sure everybody's been going through the last year or so. But hopefully, hopefully it looks as though we're getting, you know, we're edging closer to some kind of normality and we've just got to try and stick it out and, and get through it together. But yeah, it's been it's been some tough times for everybody. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. As you said, it's it's affected everyone. I think sometimes
2: football can be put in this sort of polarized position where everyone thinks that the life of people who are involved in football is just great all the time. But yet, I think this has been a real leveler, hasn't it? This lockdown that it's, it's hit everyone the same. We've all been stuck in the house. Oh, the it, has it. Jobs.
3: oh it's, it has. It's just just the, you know, the simple things that you took for granted before,
2: hmm.
3: not being able to do them and, and you don't really appreciate them. You know, like visiting friends or going for a game of golf or, you know, travelling 10, 15 miles to see family and friends or whatever it is. You know, my wife's from Scotland, we used to go up there a lot. She's not been able to, like everybody, you know, she's not been able to see her parents for, for well over a year now. You know, first time at Christmas that had not been down for 20 years to Liverpool, because we still live in Liverpool. You know, first time in 20 years, her parents had not come down, which, you know, it's things like that. I know that obviously there's a lot of people in them in them situations, but you know, listen, you know, we've, we've done a year now, which is when you look back, you think, well, that's gone quick, but... Actually, going through it for a year, it's it, you know, it's been really testing times, and not being able to do football, not being able to go to Anfield, you know, not being able to see my daughter play football or play, you know, all the kids not being able to play football and yeah. do the stuff that they do. On, it's just been been terrible. But you know, we've got to keep strong, and hopefully, we, we, you know, we're not far from around the corner now, and we can see a little bit of light.
2: Yeah, and that's the thing is that hopefully we will see that that normality coming back in the weeks and months to come. And me and Ammo know exactly what you're talking about. We're, we both live over in Ireland. Um, both haven't been able to get over, see our families in Liverpool. And it, it's just been, it's been so strange. But hopefully one of the things that this podcast does is brings a little bit of hope to people, brings a little bit of joy to people's weeks. Um, and we want to be able to talk to you a little bit, Chris, just about your footballing journey. You said, obviously, you, you live in Liverpool. um. And obviously you, you played for Liverpool, which which for us is just unthinkable, unimaginable. Um so we want to ask you just in the first part of this pod, just a few questions about that. And my first question would probably be, how did it, how did it come about? Take us through because obviously living in a big city like Liverpool, as we know, getting into a professional football team at semi pro level or right, rating is hard enough. What what was the process for you going from being a kid, playing football on the street and all the rest of it to for getting to, to Liverpool, how did that happen? Quite quickly.
3: I mean, I was an outfield, I was now field player to start with. I wasn't I wasn't a goalkeeper, and um, I was never any good. I, I just used to love football, any, anything with a ball. You know, I, I wasn't keen on school, which uh, which I do regret now. You know, I was, I was more interested in any sport at all. You know, rugby, not rugby. Sorry, golf, tennis, cricket. You know, football. I just wanted you know anything with a ball I, I was just obsessed with as soon as I got home from school I dumped my bag I was straight down the park kicking the ball around playing golf or whatever um but yeah I was an outfield player and I was playing for Barwell Athletic and I was on the bench as an outfield player the keeper got injured and because I was the only one on the bench I you know I had to go and goal. Yeah. made a couple of saves uh, really enjoyed it the keeper was going to be out for the rest of the season so the manager said look were you playing golf for us you've done well today and I thought yeah I'll do that um it wasn't actually till after that, it was actually after that game, my dad put a bet on me to play for England in goal before I was 30. And, you know, I never knew about the bet at all uh, until the day before the game. So he kept it from, so what was that, over 11 years, I never knew. It was only the day before the game when I was 26 uh, I got asked about it by the press. And I said, listen, I, I can't answer that. I actually don't know what you're on about. <laughs> so I rang my dad and, and said, look, you know, they're saying this. And he went, yeah, it's true. He said, but don't worry about that. So he kept the bet in the bottom of his drawer for like 11 years. So things progressed pretty quickly from there. You know, I, I got into the county side. I, I moved to Westfield Wonders from Barwell, then down Sports, which was a good team in Hinckley, and then I moved to Blaby and Weston, which was a team in Leicester that have produced some really good players over the years. Mm. Um, yeah, the Gary Gary Lineker, I think Peter Shilton played there as well. Yep. So the, if you if you got to Blaby and Weston, then you, you were sort of doing half decent. But the manager there, Mick Pearson, Paul Danner. I don't think the you remember Paul Danner he used to be a Premier League referee. He was the assistant manager there and they just went above and beyond. They, they would do extra with me. My dad was always taking me down the park if I wanted to, never pushed me. You know, even when he'd finished 12-hour shifts as a crane driver, he would get back knackered and still take me down the park or still take me to have a game of golf. Or... So, you know, I was, I was very lucky that I had people like my dad and obviously Mick and, and Paul hmm. that that seen something in me. Uh, and then I got spotted by the county, I got spotted by Leicester and Coventry. I was already trained with Coventry City. Uh, already struck up a great relationship with Oggie, Steve, uh, Steve Griswitz used to train me on a Wednesday night when he was first team keeper. And then the decision come to sign for Coventry or Leicester, but because of the relationship I had with Oggie, even though all my family were Leicester fans, we lived in Leicester, I signed for Coventry, um, mm-hmm. went there. Uh, there was another lad from Newcastle that signed the same day, Steve Watson, who was meant to be the next big thing, the next big goalkeeper, mm-hmm. you know, he was talked about for a couple of years before, but... Quickly, I, I overtook him. Uh, I think he, he had some, you know, he was homesick, obviously, being away, and he didn't train properly. And, you know, I quickly overtook him, got involved with the first team, training with them pretty early. I think from about 17, I was training for them probably a bit before, and then made my debut at 18. And things, you know, against Spurs, uh, sorry, against Tranmere in the Worthington Cup. Uh, John Akterberg, who who's a goalie coach now, was playing for Tranmere. Mm. Uh, which we have a good laugh about now. He's been great, John. We'll talk about that later with us, but he's been brilliant and the club have. Um, and then I made my debut against Spurs on the Saturday at Highfield Road and we won 2-1. Uh, Teddy Sheringham, Red Roth were playing, Ferdinand. Um, and we won 2-1 and got man of the match. And things progressed pretty quickly from there. Um, Gary McAllister, who was obviously at Coventry, moved to Liverpool. Uh, he actually come back down to train with Coventry when his wife was not very well, so she was getting treatment back in Leicester. Yep. So he come into Coventry to keep fit. And he's gone back up to Liverpool and said, Look, you've got to have a look at this lad. Because Macca'd obviously see me when I was in the youth team and then come back down and see me uh, how I'd progressed. And then I was getting calls off Macca every couple of weeks, which is obviously tapping up. But he was ringing me saying, Look, you know, the, we're going to sign you. The, Gerard loves you going to sign you in the next window and this was like five months away the next window so you're thinking well a lot of things can happen and it's not gonna happen yeah but Maca kept ringing kept ringing me up every few weeks he said oh Joe I'd seen you play this game that game he said brilliant with this stuff maybe do this next time try this little bit so it was always encouraging me and then the move come along so I knew I knew about it the day before so I knew the, obviously the window was shut in, in 2001 towards the end of the transfer window and I got a call I didn't have an agent at the time. So, I got a call off this agent saying, Look, Liverpool are going to want you. Do you want me to do the deal for you? So I, said, so, I met a couple of agents, got on with Colin Gordon, his name was, got on great with him. I said, Yeah. So, he said, Right, be ready, get your bags packed. He says, so It's, it's going to go down to the wire, uh, which I don't know why things, I still can't like transfer deadline day this time. Why, why deals get done so late when they're in the pipeline for weeks before he's, <laughs> he's balmy, But he told me just to have my bags packed. I was in a fire and safety meeting at Highfield Road with the youth team because I was still involved with the youth team at Coventry and Gordon Strachan popped his head around the corner. And as soon as he did, because I knew it was coming, but I was dead nervous and he probably said, Kirk, you can have a word. He took me out and said, look, we've had a bid off Liverpool. Um, We've accepted it, but you don't have to go. We don't want you to go. If you don't want to go, you don't have to go. Mm. And I was a young lad and I've always been a home person, always loved my home comforts. And the thought of moving away from home, moving away from friends and family was was the thing that was holding me back. Not Liverpool, I've always supported Liverpool. My first game was when I was seven, standing in the cop in 1988. So, you know, if it wasn't, if it was any other club, I would not have gone. And I I turned down a couple of clubs before that, but it was just the pull of Liverpool, you know. But then, Augie, so he said, listen, you're nervous, are not you? Gordon, I said, yeah. You know, it it was like, even though I knew that the bid was coming and I knew the move was possibly happening, I was like, I, I, I could hardly speak and he said look Oggy's here at the stadium do you want me to go and get Oggy so Gordon went and got Oggy Oggy come in and uh, Gordon told him look Liverpool a bid for him and he went yeah not surprised um, he says what are you still doing here what, why are you not in the car why are you not on the way up to Liverpool and I said oh, I'm just worried about family and stuff he says, listen go and be the keeper you can be he says your family will always be there they'll come up and see you we'll always be here so went home, got my stuff, drove straight up to Liverpool, got, got up there about. It was on a Friday, so the traffic was horrendous. We got up there about, it was about midnight by the time we got up there. And the physio was waiting at the hotel, went straight for scans. I was in a scan until like three in the morning, uh, back to the hotel. They come and pick me up the next day. And Gerard Hullier was actually, and this is the man Gerard Hullier is. So he was actually back in France because it was international weekend. So there was no games. So he was back in France and he wasn't due back to the Monday. Um, but he flew back on the Saturday and I got picked up in the morning on the Saturday, me and Leona did um, and Phil Thompson picked us up mm-hmm. and he said, oh, i are just going to go and pick somebody up um, and I had no idea it was and we went to the airport, went to Liverpool airport and Gerard Hullier walked out and he said, oh, Phil went, look, Gerard, um, he's not due back to Monday but he wanted to come and, and see you before you sign and, and settle you in and stuff which is the man Gerard Hullier was. He was just an mm-hmm. incredible human mm-hmm. being. Chris, um, can I uh, button there? Um, on,
1: quick, it's uh, it's it, it, this is fascinating as I say, I don't really want to button, but it's just something comes to mind. So we're both podcast enthusiasts and we we listen to a lot of you know, players, you know, podcasts and how things happen. When we're big me and Danny are big fans of the Peter house podcast. And what you always hear, as I say, we don't know, we're just fans, but we're the other side of it. Uh, what you always hear is that in them days as such of the days that we were watching Liverpool, we were late teens watching your era of Liverpool, that in them days, it was kind of the traditional period from like the drinking culture and to a proper professional type of culture. What I'm asking here is, see at that stage, see like you hear about player liaison officers and things like that. So you've just said that Gerard Hulley in 2001 made a point of being a kind of welcoming to Liverpool, stuff like that. For in your career, from that was very early in your career, up until kind of your latter days, at you know, Sheffield Wednesday and Preston, do you, have you felt that at that stage? You wasn't like player liaison officers and stuff like that because you hit. There,
3: there was one there. There was a player was, liaison. And how there.
1: how does that work? How does so? Seems like getting getting out an apartment, getting you know just just the, the little things to to make you play the best football. Yeah. How does all that work? If you don't mind me asking.
3: Yeah, well, you you, you signed for the club, um, and then you, yeah, so it was Norman Gard, who was who was great friends with Gerard Hulier. Yeah. So he was a player liaison officer. So, I mean, obviously for the foreign lads that move over, it was for the same for me. If I moved to a, a foreign country, I wouldn't have a clue what yeah. to do because things are different in certain countries. So it was more, you know, for the foreign lads which needed that help. Just simple things like, you know, paying bills and stuff like that. They, they didn't know how to do it or set up bank accounts and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So you need that. You need that. But Norman was great. He found our house for us. He said, look, these are the areas that a lot of players live. But so we actually went away from that. We moved sort of over, away from that sort of thing. Um, so we come over, not far, only 15 minutes from Melbourne, but well all the lads went to Manchester and lived in Hale or Formby or mm. other places. I like We come over towards Ormskirk and, and um, Orton. So it was it was close to the motorway for us to shoot up to Scotland for Leona's parents. It was close to Manchester, 15 minutes from training. And we loved it because it was open fields and we, I had a, we had a dog at the time. So all the walking and everything like that, which is a great get-out clause. So we, we decided to go that way. But they, they help you with everything you need to do, and, um, which you do. You, you, and people say, well, that's pampered. They can do it themselves. But if I went across to it, like I said, if, if I moved across to a country, you lads probably had it when you went to Ireland. You found some things probably different to, to back in Liverpool. But you talked yeah. about moving to a foreign country. I would not have a clue what to do. And then when, obviously, a lot of lads come over and they don't speak the language as well. So Norman spoke French, Spanish. He spoke quite a few languages, And obviously you had Gerard Hillier as well that spoke French and we had a lot of French players and stuff. So, yeah, the player liaison officers, they play a big, big part in helping people settle.
1: No, no, yeah, I just wanted to ask that because, as I say, you (laughs) kind of hear things and you're you're not quite sure how that
2: kind of thing works. But, yeah, no, fair enough. And I think you need it because of the speed that it happens, as you said. Like, you knew for a while that it was coming, but, yeah, the ball didn't really start really rolling until transfer deadline day and and you were there at three in the morning.
3: And you have to be careful as well. What people have to realise as well is if, you know, who, who's coming in, say, right, Mo Salah is signed for Liverpool. He starts going looking for a house. All of a sudden the house goes up £200,000, £300,000. If he knocks on a door and he's got nobody with him and somebody recognises Mo Salah, the price goes through the roof. Yeah. So, you know, they get, people get ripped off. So you need, pe- you need people that have worked for the club, that work with certain people outside of the club that know they're not going to rip the players off because that yeah. does happen. Um, so yeah, play liaison officers are, are, are you know play huge parts at clubs, and they certainly helped us. We had no, you know, we went into hotels to start with, um, and then we moved down to a flat in Liverpool while we were looking for a house. So the club helped you do that. So they said, look, we've got a few flats here until you find your house or until you know where you want to live. Chris, it's is- Sefton Park, are they Abraham Sefton Park. So the the it was the old cot, was it the God, I can't remember the name of the hotel now. It's one Gaza in for about eighteen months. Red Thor, Red Red. I can't remember the name. <laughs> right. It's it one Gaza in for about eighteen months when he signed for. But yeah, by there. So then we moved in. We moved to the city centre in a flat while we were looking for a house, and then we moved by Allerton, so not far from Sefton, yeah. to Allerton and uh, Walton and them areas. But we just found the place where we were staying on. We, we were just getting knocks on the door quite late at night, our fans and stuff. Um, which, listen, it wasn't a problem if it was during the day, but we were getting them quite late at night, like 11, half, 11. We thought that's why we moved over to towards where we are now. Yeah. Because it was a lot quieter. And that's the only reason why we we did do that. But, yeah, we've stayed here now where we are now, what, 19 years we've lived where we are Mm. in this area. So we we won't move now. We love Liverpool area as a a whole and obviously doing a lot with the club still.
1: Yeah,
2: and, and I can imagine, like, I know the area where about you are and, and it's a lovely, lovely part of the of North West. So you've got this whole situation. You've went and signed for Liverpool, which, which obviously, as you said, I was going to ask you about whether you had any regrets, but, but as you said, you've been there, you, you, you was in the cup, you watched Liverpool play, it was a, it was a dream. How was that feeling then of you signed you on the international break, the players come back and you're getting ready for what is probably your first Start as a Liverpool player <laughs> I went back home.
3: home yeah so I went back home so I was still really nervous so I got to Anfield on the Saturday still not signed and I was like oh my god I don't know if I can do that I don't know if I can leave home I don't know if I can leave my friends and I was really nervous and Rick Parry who was the chief executive at the time he says look he says you, you know I can tell you really now I am still young you know I have only mm-hmm. just turned 20 so he said look do you want to go down to the pitch so he took me down to the pitch still not signed the contract um I said, yeah, I could do just five minutes air. So I went down to the pitch and I actually went and sat where I used to stand as a kid when I was seven years old in the cop. And as soon as I stood there, I all the feelings and, you know, with my dad and thinking, this is your dream. This, mm-hmm. this is why you come to watch Liverpool to play for them one day. And then went straight back up, signed the contract. Everything was done. There was a couple of bits of, that needed sorting out with Coventry um, that, that eventually got done. And then we travelled back down to Leicester. So we travelled back down to home to get all my clothes, get all our stuff. And then we, we come back up on the Sunday night and uh, yeah, that was it. And then we were, we were in Liverpool and I was in training on the Monday morning um, at the old Melwood. So this is the old, not the Melwood, obviously they've moved again, but the, the Melwood before, it was the old building.
1: Yeah.
3: Um, so yeah, that was my first day in and, and just loved it from day one. It was just, just a be driving into training, just being at Melwood. And then when we moved into the new building as well, mm. it was just, just, never wanted to leave. Just you know, I was obsessed with training, obsessed with just being in there, being a Liverpool fan as well. But I didn't re- i mean, you realise how big a club Liverpool is. But it's when you actually go outside of Liverpool and outside the country, and like we travelled. I think the first pre-season was Singapore, Hong Kong, and um, I think it might be in Beijing or something like that. And it's just incredible the scale of fans. You know, there were thousands camping outside the hotel. You just realise, you know, you know, Liverpool's a huge club, but worldwide, the reach that Liverpool Football Club's got is just incredible. It is, you know, the, one of the biggest clubs in the world, if not the biggest clubs in the world. You know, rivaling Real Madrid, Manu, um, hmm. and it's just, when you go abroad and you see all the fans, it's just like what it's like being in Liverpool. It's like wow.
2: Yeah. And so you, so you come in, you you got your. As far as I'm aware, you can correct me if I'm wrong. You made your debut in October then, um, of two thousand and one. And uh, probably yeah Grimsby yep. was it Grimsby yeah what was what was that like as you said you, you knew the global reach of Liverpool you knew like the the enormity of being at that club what when you got handed that that debut what was the feelings that were going through you
3: yeah, I mean not, not, I just wanted to play when you're a kid I get asked this all the time you're not fussed you're not, you're not bothered about the price tag you're not bothered about the pressure you're not bothered as a kid you just want to train that's all I wanted to do train play I mean, obviously, Jersey sign, which I knew about on the same day, Joe, I said, look, we're signing Jersey. You'll be number two. Learn from him. Learn from the players. Learn from Joe Corrigan. When you're ready, you'll play. Mm. So it was obviously, I knew I was playing against Grimsby, but yeah, just desperate to play. Um, fortunately, I mean, I, well, I thought it was going to penalties. It was like the 119th minute of extra time. Thought, my God, penalties in the cot, my debut, you know, stuff dreams are made of, save a few penalties, but then probably scored, again, had the goal, that probably the best goal I've ever conceived in my life. Um, Phil Jevons, I don't know if you've seen it or not, yeah. but it's it, yeah, it's just. I mean, I could have dived twice and got nowhere near it. Uh, but yeah, that was that was my first game, and and just yeah, just loved. I mean, just playing it, playing it. Anfield is even for anyone that's not a Liverpool fan, going to Anfield to watch a game of football at Anfield, particularly European nights, is something that you lads know it's just incredible experience. And even though a lot of fans won't admit it. You know, I know a lot of my mates, even Evertonians, that say, you know, Anfield's just the atmosphere is just incredible, but they'll never, ever admit it Yeah, uh, on camera.
2: <laughs> I know. And and obviously you had the chance to play Champions League football and, and, and have a part in those amazing European nights. And there's one thing that a lot of people have asked us when we said that you were coming on to the podcast that they want us to clear up, is that season the 2005 Champions League season i think you know where i'm going with this what obviously you got you got injured jordan that season you played the group stage games what what happened in terms of like it all did did you finish the Champions League campaign was you there in istanbul what what happened jordan yeah. what happened? <laughs> so
3: obviously i played against uh, galatasaray in the in the knockout stage uh, Anfield one, three, one. 3 and after that I, I was struggling before it was a back problem I, I slipped a disc uh, a few weeks before mm. and was really starting to struggle and then after that game I, I, I just couldn't move hardly move anymore so you know, we kept putting the surgery off and off and hoping it would be okay but I just couldn't it was just starting to affect us like um, in games it's got away with it during that game but um, I think it was after Everton we played Everton then and I was struggling before the game shouldn't have played really uh, but then I got told, Look, I need, you know, you've got to have the operation. You won't last until the end of the season. So fortunately, I needed to have the operation. But yeah, went out. to But then I was a fan then. So, you know, I couldn't play, but I was a Liverpool fan. So we was out in Istanbul. Uh, Leon, and my girlfriend, wife now, we were all out there. Neil Mellor was there with Becky. You know, all the lads that weren't involved were all out there. And yeah, you're Liverpool fans. then as much as you want to be playing, you know, we, were, we was there supporting the team. And it was just an incredible, as you know, incredible game that's, Probably only been beat by the Barcelona game that uh, Anfield um, <laughs> was that a couple of years ago now, which we was at. That's I mean that game was just incredible. But yeah, it's so fun to do that, you know, and we knew after Olympiakos. Sometimes you know your names on the on the cup. Sometimes they say it's written in the stars. And uh, after the Arcos game, we, uh, we, so, yeah, not Galatas, so it was Olympiakos. We um, we just knew we we're going to go and win it. Just you just had this feeling that no matter what. We were just gonna go on and win the win the Champions League. And um, luckily luckily we did.
2: Mm. And we're gonna get into that in a bit in terms of that belief that you have in, in dressing rooms and stuff like that. And Amo's gonna go on to that in a bit. Um, the last question that I want to ask you in this half, just before we, we take a break and give you a bit of a breather, is um obviously, as you said, and it's and it's important to say that obviously you went on to make you made three hundred and twenty one appearances across your career. You've had an an amazing career, a, at a number of different clubs do you feel to a certain extent that that obviously the, the reoccurring and back injury the injuries that you had do you feel that that kind of stopped you from cementing that first team place in front of Jersey in, in that season oh, yeah. and obviously Reina came in after that and do you is there a bit is there something in you that's just a little bit frustrated
3: in terms of that got it. Yeah, gutted. Uh, yeah, listen, the injuries not the stuffing out as I did my PCL. I was out for eight, nine months of that. I broke wrists in training. Yeah, it was just... When I got a run, I just got a serious injury that, you know, when you get serious injuries, you're never quite the same again. And when you get a few serious injuries, then it just take real, take its toll on you. Even though I was young, it's more than when, you, when you're when you getting slightly older, you start to feel them injuries. So, yeah, I should have made a lot more appearances for Liverpool. But, again you know, I'll do it all again, have all the injuries again, have everything that went with it just to play one game. Yeah. And I mean that because it's, it's my team, you know, it's the team I always supported and I was lucky to to be there for five years. Yes, I should have played more, but you know, you you, you can't have regrets and I, and I don't, and I'd say I'd do it all again just for one game.
2: Yeah. And,
3: and as you said, like you live with that, you live with those things and these things happen.
2: We've seen injuries and now they've played loads of people's careers, but but as you said, you, you went on. You've had an amazing career. You, your dad, I'm sure, made a fortune off that bet for when you played for England and all. And um, it's bit, obviously we remember. Me and I'm more part of that era that we remember you coming up and coming through Liverpool and and your whole story. So like as a fan, it's amazing just to be able to listen to you talk about it and and get that inside sort of information. And I'm always going to plug a little bit more into that in a minute, looking at the things that you're doing now uh, and the coaching and things like that. But I'm going to give you a little bit of a break. So have a breather, no and thank you so much to everyone for listening to Ammo and Danny's Irish, Irish Anfield, Anfield Road. Road.
0: Find more great shows or join the team at sport-social.co.uk. All
1: well, right, folks. Welcome back to Ammo
2: and Danny's Irish, Irish Anfield, Anfield Road.
1: Road. Well, as, as per usual, we have guests like Chris on, you know, you just want to sit there and listen. But unfortunately, we don't have all the time in the world, so we're going to cram in as much as we can in the second half of the pod. Um, so Danny went through your career, Chris, at Liverpool, and I will come across um, and, and things like that. But, you know, at the end of the day, you played for England. You had six years at Wigan. You made brief appearances at Doncaster and Leicester. Um, and then you went to Sheffield Wednesday. So tell me, how did... So here's a question. I was going to ask this question at the end, but I'm going to put it into kind of this part now. So for me, as a Liverpool fan, and this is my blinded eyes. I always think to myself, would any Liverpool or anyone that plays for Liverpool, would in order to play for Liverpool for 10 years and make an extra five or six appearances? I don't know, wherever it may be, over these, and stay at Liverpool, the biggest club. What makes you, as a Liverpool fan, live your dream? No, okay, Rafa come in, et cetera, et cetera. What makes you leave Liverpool Football Club? And with the greatest respect to Wigan, who, I mean, at the time were a Premier League club. Um, I think it was Paul Jewell was the manager, and they were going grand. And as I say, they were a mid-table club, by you know, which is great. that they were definitely punching. If you don't mind me saying, what makes you leave Liverpool and go to Wigan?
3: Being told by Rafa that he didn't want me, and I could go. <laughs> Simple as that. So, uh, I mean, I went on loan. How alone did that
1: go, Chris? Was that, was that, is it that hard, or did you... Have-
3: well, no, I, I knew I needed to go because when I went to Liverpool, obviously it was Gerard Hilly and, and Joe Corrigan was the goalie coach. So, the training was a key factor. Um, Joe was, you know, amazing. Obviously, Man City legend. The training was the same as it. Coventry with Oggy, hard work, repetitions, come off the pitch absolutely knackered. Uh, Rafa coming, obviously, brought a Spanish goalie coach in and just totally changed, you know, told me... Didn't want me catching the ball. Wanted me to punch everything. Um, just totally against everything that I grew up and what got me to Liverpool. So I knew it was it was tough. Uh, you know, I played under Rafa, obviously, um, but it was you know I think everyone will say the same. It was difficult playing under Rafa because it was his way or no way. Um, you know, he's hugely successful, obviously, but any player that's played will, will say the same. It was it was football, 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 football with Rafa. And fans will probably say, well, that should be that way. But, you know, you've got personal lives as well and things obviously happen in personal lives. And, you know, but Gerard Hill, he was totally the opposite. He was football, but also he was he was a man manager. He looks after you and he knew if there was an issue, you always checking on your families. So when, when Rafa came when and it changed and the training was just, I was just going to games, not sharp. I was asking for more training and being told that I didn't need it. Uh, this is the way you train now. And so it, it became very difficult. So I went on loan to West Brom. 2005-2006, yep. played 10 games, things went great, I got my form back, Joe Corrigan, who was at Liverpool, was the goalie coach at West Brom with Brian Robson, so that's obviously a big part of why I went there, because I knew I was going to get the training I needed. Uh, quickly got my form back, unfortunately got a real bad injury, Kevin Davis hit me in the side, uh, I come out for a cross, took the cross and Kevin Davis sort of come into me and kneed me right in the in the kidney area. And I knew there was an issue and I got to half-time, didn't feel well, got to the end of the game, could hardly move, got home, went toilet, just peed blood everywhere and collapsed basically on the floor and got taken to hospital. And he'd oh. lacerated my kidney, so basically tore my kidney during the game, um, wow. but stupidly carried on. And, uh, and then I was out for a long, long time with that. Um, so I went back to, obviously, uh, to Liverpool 2006 and Rafa was saying, look, don't want you anymore. Uh, Going to go and buy a foreign goalkeeper. Obviously, bought Pepe Reina. Which listen, you can, you know you can't argue with who. Chris, or... can I
1: can I just put in there? Sorry, how does that conversation go? So you're very kind. of You mentioned a blase. If it was just like, like right, Chris, I don't want you. Is it that harsh or is? It called more... me back from
3: holiday as well. I was on holiday at the time, and I got a call saying uh, we need to see you. Can you come back a couple of days early? So come back, and then went in and. I'm thinking, I, you know, I'm not, I was, I didn't know what I was thinking actually, but I was thinking, oh, this, uh, hopefully, it's a good sign. He's, you know, going to welcome me back. But then he just said, look, you know, we're going to sign another keeper. You can go. You're not, you're not in my plans. Oh, and I, I knew I needed to leave. Yeah, but I knew I needed to leave. I knew that for my own career, I was still only 26. Um, missed a lot of football, obviously through injury. So I knew, I, even though I didn't want to, I knew things weren't going to happen in Liverpool for me. Um, I wasn't going to play. I wasn't going to enjoy it, even though it was Liverpool. I didn't enjoy the training with a goalie coach. I was only going to go backwards. If I stayed, I was only going to go backwards and that could have ruined my career completely. So I knew I needed to leave, but I knew I needed to go somewhere that was ideally local, um, if possible, but also somewhere that I had an English goalie coach. Um, so Paul Jewell right. rang me. I was, up, I was up in a wedding in Scotland and he rang me and said, look, I know I believe you're available. I know you've had your injuries. Uh, I want you to come here on loan. And if, you, if I like what I see, I'll sign you straight away before the window shuts. And I knew the goalie coach was uh, Gary Walsh, who was, you know, the, just a great guy, great goalie coach, knew the work I would get. I got, he called me and said, listen, I know what you need. Um, Joe Colgans rang me, he said, this is the best way you work. He says, I'll give you all that and more. And just as soon as I walked through the door at Wigan, it just clicked. It just felt right. And it's the best I've played. The four years from 2006, 2010 was the best I've played during my career. Um, you know, I won quite a few awards, but just happy, just... You know, hard work, training. And then, obviously, Paul left and uh, Steve Bruce come in. And Gary left, unfortunately, after a while to go with... Uh, where did he go? He went somewhere else. Went down to West Brom, I think. But then Nigel Spink come in as goalie coach, who again, was just the same as Gary Walsh and Joe Corrigan. And uh, just the four years then were just incredible. Then, obviously, Roberto come in and brought a Spanish goalie coach in again. And I just thought... Sort of, <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I just, I, well, I just knew where it was going. I just knew where it would end up and just totally change the training again. Just very slow, very not not hard work at all. It was a lovely chap, the, the, the goalie coach, and Yaki, but he actually went to Everton as well with Roberto. Uh, just not what I'd been brought up on and not what makes me tick um, and what makes me, you know, uh, the goalkeeper that uh, got me to Liverpool. And Chris, um, you know, you went to Wigan. I was just we're chatting off earlier there and
1: I was saying, a good few years ago, I went to to Wigan away game with the poor Wigan hoping to get tickets I was probably uh, 16, 17 got tickets in the Wigan end and I mean Wigan were at that stage were punching above the weight in my opinion sorry to say that they were a solid Premier League team and you know players like yourself did you mention Titus Bramble there? I think I remember um, Emil Heskey was at Wigan at one stage as well wasn't he? I mean That team, did you ever hit? You never did get to Europe, but you were close where he And we were that very... four years you say, with the best four years. H- how good was that team and
3: how much did you enjoy? Because the stadium was never full, was it? It was always no, kind just, of, yeah, it was a rugby stadium You had the Warriors, obviously, it's a rugby town, Wigan. But we we had the best lads, group of lads you could imagine. Just the dressing room, wins and loses the games. We just had a brilliant dressing room, you know, Kev Kilban, uh, Leighton Baines, Ryan Taylor, um, Titus was there, Mileski. I mean, there's too many names to make. We just had a brilliant... Ariane Zoo who was there at the start, was just an incredible captain. We just had we just had a brilliant dressing room um, that there was no issues with at all. Got on great. We all socialised as families together off the pitch. And, yeah, when Brucey... We actually were, we were sixth um, coming into, into January. We were flying. And there was obviously talk about Europe and stuff like that. But then, obviously, a club being Wigan... Unfortunately, the vultures come and they took Ryan Taylor. Um, Emeleski went to Villa. Wilson Palacios yes, uh, went to um, Spurs. Antonio Valencia went to Man U. I mean them two lads, yes, you know, Palacios and Valencia, were just brilliant players. Uh, but we yeah. lost them for... I don't think we won for about 10 games after that, once we lost wow. them players. But we still and, finished ninth. We finished ninth or tenth that season, which for Wigan yeah. was like... Yeah, it was like finishing in Champions League. So yeah, we had I, a... Yeah, Steve Bruce one of the best I've ever worked with as a manager uh, him and Gerard Hulley were just two best managers I've worked with
1: Yeah I, I remember going to a game as I say and um, it was 1-1 Torres scored and then you were saying before you got Man of the Match in that game and I don't remember the game all that well it's that many years ago but I mean to keep the likes of Torres and Gerrard and they were in the peak you know that must have been a proud moment especially in the former
3: club yeah, we had a good team though. I mean, we we went one nil down, but tighter scored. Um and you know, we, we probably should have won that game. Um even though I was man of match, we had chances, they had they had chances. Um but yeah, it was a great result for us. And missus was there and all my friends were sat in the away end. Um <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was it was it was the first time back at Anfield as well since I'd left. And it was um yeah, it was weird going back, but obviously then I just wanted to prove to the you know, the, I just wanted to prove to everyone that I could still play and, you know, I was still a good goalkeeper and luckily I, d- I did that in that game. And Chris, so we'll go into kind of, we're going to go into the latter party at Sheffield Wednesday
1: and, and Preston and stuff and the wee we are. But, I mean, England, so, you know, let, let's clear this up. Your, your, your father or was it your grandfather made it bet to play at England before 30?
3: My dad, it was my dad, so it was after that game. So my dad put Ben, but we, we used to go down to like a working men's club on a Sunday and a Thursday and you know, I used to do this. Like, this is when I was a kid. And I used to do the scoring for the snooker and the darts. So there was a lot of lads, a lot of older chaps down there with my dad uh, in the darts league and the snooker league. They all threw 10s and 20 pounds in. Because my dad was actually, I mean, 100 pounds, a lot of money back then. They were actually only allowed to put 100 pounds on it, 100 to one, which the odds were terrible. You know, if I always said if I'd have gone into the bookies with my dad when he put the bet on it, they'd have given him a million to one because I wasn't in the best shape. I was quite a chubby lad. And he'd have got a lot more odds back then. But it was terrible odds, really, <laughs> and they couldn't, how, they couldn't anymore how, so there's about six or seven of them that went in on it
1: how does an England call-up happen so how, how does you know tell me the process I know you played well, the quite a bit but how does a yeah. senior England call-up happen
3: I was involved in quite a few squads and it should have happened before really I should have made my debut quite a few years before but I mean we had some brilliant keepers around at the time but yeah I mean it, it, uh, I was in the it was actually b- before I made my debut for Wigan so 2006 I've just signed for Wigan on loan And this game was on the Wednesday, at Old Trafford uh, against Greece. Uh, Got told I was going to play the second half a couple of days before, Um, and then I played, made my debut for for Wigan on the Saturday. So it was a bit of a whirlwind. But all the family were there. Great people say pinnacle career, and no, it wasn't for me. Uh, Signing for Liverpool, playing for Liverpool, will never be topped by anything. Um, You know, if I even if I'd have made fifty appearances for England, it'd still be all club football for me. Actually, bread and butter, and obviously, signing for Liverpool that'll never be top. Delighted I did it, delighted my family was there, delighted I won the bet for a few people, which I didn't know about until the day before. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it, it wasn't the pinnacle for me. Oh, well, fair enough. So, obviously, you know,
1: Roberto had been coming at um Wigan and he kind of knew where it was going. Um, you, your spells at Leicester and Doncaster were they were you at Wigan and you made loan, uh, loans yeah. to them or? And then you eventually kind of settle at Sheffield Wednesday, which is still a huge club. Mm. Um, Kind of talk us, Chris, now, because this is where we're going to talk a little bit more about you you personally and what you're doing at the moment. And anyone listening to this podcast now and anyone that knows uh, your story, Chris, knows that mental health has been a big thing with you. So if you can talk us from when you signed for Sheffield Wednesday, back to Preston, eventually to Bury, to where you're at now and where you realised your journey within your it's depression that you suffered with. And let I just want to hit we just want to hear you talk about where you went from Sandy Sheffield Wednesday to where you are now.
3: Yeah, well I, I left Wigan. I mean I, the last two years I didn't play 2010, 2012, I didn't play much you played at LA Absey. So them two years are quite tough, but still near home, you know, still, you know, football's not the be all and end all, family's more important always has been for me. So but then obviously my contract was up and I didn't have many options to be honest, because people thought I was injured for the last two years. I wasn't. Uh, I just wasn't picked. The manager just preferred somebody else. So, but I was very conscious that I knew I still had a lot to give and I knew where I went next. I knew I needed to go back to a British goalie coach again. That was the biggest thing. So I had a couple of stiffs here and there. A lot were down in London. I thought, I'm not moving down there. I'm not going to move the family. My daughter was in school. She'd just started school, proper school at six years old. So I thought, I'm not moving down there. And, And then I got a call off Sheffield Wednesday and Andy Rhodes, who's Jordan Rhodes uh, his dad, he's the goalie coach at Sheffield Wednesday, rang me, said, look, come here, I know what you need, I know exactly the way you need to train, he says, come here and you won't regret it. So, it was only like, it's not far Sheffield from where we are, but it's a nightmare journey, so it takes you probably an hour and a half, two hours on a good journey, because you have to go through Manchester and that. So, I signed for I signed for Sheffield Wednesday, and I was I said, listen, I'll commute. And, uh But it was just a change of routine. It was just like going from one extreme to the other, you know, and people say, well, it's still football. Yes, it was, but the travelling, in the car, long periods on your own, missing stuff back at home, not being able to pick my daughter up from school like I'd always done, or drop her off at nursery, pick her up from nursery, missing school plays, getting home late, having to get up the next morning to go. It just, it become really, really difficult. The club as a whole, I mean... You know, like Liverpool, the fans at Sheffield Wednesday are just incredible. You know, it is, a, like they say, it's a massive... It really is. It's a huge club, massive club. Uh, obviously, big, big ties and emotional ties with Liverpool. Obviously, from what, what you know, from the hills of a disaster. Um, it was just an incredible club. The lads, again, the dressing room was brilliant. I'd have walked a long time before if if the dressing room weren't as good. We had a great, great group of lads in there. And for the first year, the football sort of took my mind away from from not feeling great. Second season, towards the end of the second season, it started to affect me. I was just thinking about getting home, and then what time do I have to be up tomorrow to get back to training? Or, but the club were brilliant with us. They, you know, they knew there was sort of a problem. They didn't delve into it. They just said, "Look, if you need to talk, we're here." You know, if we can help you in any way. So they gave me extra days off and stuff like that, where I'd do the gym work here instead of going in for a cool down. Uh, but then 2015, I just the three years just. I just didn't know. I didn't really know what I was feeling, to be honest. I just didn't want to do anything. I just just, just withdrawn, didn't answer the call, phone when I got home, didn't want to get up in the mornings to go to training. Um, so I turned down a new deal. I was actually going to sign. I was in my training kit 2015, new deal on the table, pen in my hand, and I just, just froze and said, Look, I can't sign this. I need to get back home. Um, and literally left. Like, and it took everyone by surprise. It was upsetting. Uh, Andy Rhodes, my goalie coach, sort of knew there was an issue. Um, got back home and thought well I'm going to sign for a team local now to where I live just so it's easy get back home and everything will be okay and the routine will change again and you know I'll sort of snap out of it which is the worst thing you can say to anyone suffering with mental health but that's what I thought at the time so I didn't have any team didn't, walked away from Sheffield Wednesday didn't have anyone any other team to go to I said well if nobody comes up then I'll retire um, what age then?
1: What was
3: it 2015 so what would have been what was that six years ago so 34 34, so still still young in terms of goalkeeping. And, um, you know, I was going to go back to Wigan and this is the thing that probably sent me even worse. So I was going to go back to Wigan thinking, right, get back to Wigan. Gary well was the manager, played with Gaz at Wigan. He was my captain when I was there. Got on great, socialised off the pitch. Not a problem. I thought, right, well, going back to there, this, this could really help me start to feel better. Going back to Wigan, place which I played the best football. Yes, the two years, the last two years weren't great, but... Gaz is there now. He's the manager. So he said, right, I want you here. So I turned down a couple of other clubs in the area as well. I said, look, Gaz, is this deal going to happen? He went, yeah, listen, you know, it's going to happen. So I went into the training ground and I got there in the morning ready to sign. And they said, oh, we've just got to sort a few bits out. You need to go for a medical. And I said, well, you know, the medical records have been sent over from Sheffield Wednesday. And since I left, you know, people think, but since I left, left Liverpool in 2006, my injury, my injury record or my fitness record was 97%. So I'd never missed any training, hardly any games at all after I left Liverpool. And a lot of people don't realise that. Yeah. And so I said, guys, what well, 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 you get, you know, I'm 34, I'm not a kid. I said, the fitness records there, Sheffield Wednesday sent over all the records. I was never hardly, hardly injured. I didn't miss anything, hardly anything. And he said, Well, we need to go. So went for went for scans and all that, come back. And they said, Oh, we're just waiting for the results. We'll, we'll, you'll sign tomorrow. So I went back in the next morning, thinking, I said, guys, don't mess me about. Because I wasn't in great in the greatest place. So I said, don't he said, no, it's getting done today, it's getting done. So anyway, he come downstairs, and this was like in the afternoon. He said, Oh, can you just wait half an hour? I've just got to go out to train and I'll come back in. And I was thinking, this is I was thinking this is disrespectful. And so he's gone out to training, come back in after about an hour and a half. I'm sitting in the canteen. And he says, Oh, come on, come upstairs. Can't sign you. I said, What do you mean you can't sign me? He says, You failed your medical. I went, How have I failed the medical? I said, my fitness record for the last 10 years, he's been 97%. Last three years at Sheffield Wednesday, I didn't miss a game for two years. Third season, Kieran Westwood coming, I was on the bench for every game. Didn't miss any training, the records are there. No, it's too much of a risk for us, we, we, can't, we can't do it. Too much of a I said, "Guys, you are joking, are you? And left, said a few words to him, said a few words to the physio, and left. So... I'm in a bad state anyway, mentally. And, and to have that happen, it just, I just thought, you know, I'm done here. But then I got a call off um, Preston, which is just up the road. I thought, right, well, I'll go there. Championship, you know, in a higher league than Wigan as well. Wigan win League One at the time. And uh, right. in higher league, so I went there. Shouldn't have really So I went there as number two, which I was happy with because have the pressure of playing, which, again, speaks volumes. That's not the way it should have been. Um, and just got through the year, really, um, but still just felt really bad and then my contracts they offered me a new contract at Preston went in to sign it on the Monday after the season played the last game six games of the season um, did did quite well um, said yeah there's no deal with it for you come in on the Monday sign it went in on the Monday sign it oh, we've, we've, we're not going to sign you now you're too old we're going to sign some younger lads so again you're feeling bad anyway and then you get these knocks again
1: mm.
3: and I just thought you know I, I can't take this anymore I'm done but then Barry come in and said look come with us and I shouldn't have signed I really shouldn't have signed and went away pre-season. Was dreading leaving home for a week to go away to Portugal, and just thought this is not going to end well. This and after second day, I just broke down. And I said, "Look, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to play football. I don't want to. You know, I didn't really want to live. I just didn't want to live at the time. I just didn't want to wake up in the morning to come wait to get to sleep. And that's when I rang and, and just, when I spoke to Neil. And I said, listen, I just, I just don't want to do anything anymore. He said, look, you, need, you, you know, you've got mental health problems, you've got depression, you need to get help. Mm. And I rang the PFA and mm. met the PFA. And that's when things started to get better. You know, I met a counsellor, started talking, retired from football because I thought, I need, you know, I need to get my, myself ready, uh, get myself right. And things got good for about, about 18 months, two years. And then in 2019, I started to miss football. I started to miss the routine. Started to miss the, the changing room, the routine of being a footballer, having a, having a purpose to get up in the mornings. I suppose, hmm. you know, because a lot of people think, well, after football retires, you we'll just go on holidays, play golf, and I did that. But you get bored, you know, you you just you just get bored of doing it. And I just needed something to do. So, but I felt myself slipping backwards, and I thought, I don't want to go back to where I was before. So, rang the PFA and said, look, I need to I need to go into the sporting chance to to really get to the bottom of things. But there was a, there was about a three month waiting list at the sporting chance, and I said, look, I can't wait that long. Um, so me and the wife just Googled local places cause I wanted somewhere quite local and the place in North Wales come up, which is only an hour away called Parkland place. And I checked in the next day and I was there for about three and a half weeks and the best thing I ever did. And, you wow. know, I was, I was in there with, you know, I mean, they treat everything. Obviously there's addictions in there, there's mental health, there's trauma, there's abuse that, you know, but it all comes back to mental health. Mm. And uh, depression so was in there with some incredible people and and still do a lot of work from work from now but they just learn to give you coping mechanisms when you are feeling bad because you know mental health say one in four it's not it's more like three and four and I think over the last year it's tested everybody I think everybody's really struggled over the last year with the pandemic and it just gives you coping mechanisms so I know now if I start to feel I feel bad and have bad days. I wake up in a bad mood. I don't know if I go out for, like I went out for 40, 50 mile bike ride this morning. Felt great. Come back to so exercise, talking. They're the key things for mental health. And even though you don't feel like doing them, as soon as you do them, you know, and having a structure, having a plan to the day, you know, having a purpose to get up in the mornings is, is huge. For, it's so easy when you feel bad, just to lie there and not do anything or phoning sick or whatever. It's, it's the worst things you can do. So, you know that's where I am up to now, and you know I'm not going to say I've, you I've, know, I mean, I'm great all the time because I'm not. But I know now what I need to do, sort of to 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 live with mental health because I think I'll always have it. And I think a lot of people will, it's, it doesn't just go away. You learn to cope with it and learn to get coping mechanisms which help you, mm-hmm. Chris. And what are you? So I know you're actually involved in the LFC Foundation, um,
1: and you we were chatting off there about. Um, a walk and spill, and a post to coach type of walk that you were planning, but obviously lockdown happened and stuff. So, what are you actually doing with yourself now on a day-to-day basis? Well, that was um, the thing. So, when, when I
3: went to yeah, when I went to Park and Place, they said, "Look, what, what you're going to do? You can't just go home and not do anything." And uh, and I just said, "Well, you know, I want to do something. I want like coaching. I could have gone into coaching, but coaching full time is hard work, and you're away know, long hours. And I didn't want to do that. Family's always been more important for me." And obviously, it, jobs in football, you can be in a job for two months and be out of it straight away. So it's very insecure. So I wanted to go down the mental health route. So, uh, you know, I, I started doing little bits of the foundation. Didn't really know exactly the extent that they did. What they do is incredible in Liverpool. And I've lived up here 19 years and I never knew just exactly how much they do. So I met with them and said, look, I'd love to get involved if I can. So they, the club, Liverpool, John acterberg Matt McCann, you know, Mark Morris at the academy, they've just been incredible. They, they are why they're the best club in the world. They look after former players. Neil does a lot of work with them. They look after players that have left yep. six or seven years ago. You know, they, they, they're just amazing. So they said, look, whatever you need, we're here for you. So, you know, I will start doing stuff with them. Got my own goalkeeper academy just down the road where I do, you know, um, got about 15, 16 keepers. Obviously, it's not happened the last year through COVID, but that's starting back up in a couple of weeks. And then I do part-time work. So I still need my football fix. So, so I thought I still need to be involved with the dressing room, involved in football. So, an offer coming off Colne FC just up near Blackburn, which is about 40 minutes away. So actually the, when I was at Liverpool Women's as manager, the, the girl there, Rhianne Roberts, her husband was the manager. And she said, uh, he, he rang me and said, look, do you know any goalie coaches, Like, unless you want it, like joking around, thinking there's no way I'd take it. And I says, well, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing anything. You know, I've got a couple of spare days. It was on a Tuesday and Thursday night and games on a Saturday. I said, it's perfect for me as long as it's doesn't interfere with Liverpool games or work I do for Liverpool, then I'm more than happy to do that. So I've got a good mix now, um, you know, real good mix. I do bits and bobs and I've just started helping out down at Liverpool Academy for the younger age groups now as well. So really enjoy doing what I'm doing. I like doing different things. I don't just like doing one same thing. I like keeping my mind stimulated and doing different stuff. And then the yeah. one is brilliant. Yeah, well, just post to coach. Tell us a little bit about this before we do our quick questions. <laughs> Mark Crosley. So Mark Crosley, who you know, big norms. He, he found himself out of a job last January, just gone. So a year or so ago, out of a job for the first time in 33 years in football. We said, what do I do? So he started going on walks and he openly admits that if somebody would have said during his career or when he was a coach coming for a walk, he'd have said, what do I want to go for a walk for? So, but then he started going on walks, loved it. He knew I walked. So I, I had a dog for 14 years before the dog we've got now. So I've always been on walk. Big, big on walking. So he started this thing up and he just named it but He said, look, will you get involved with it? I know you do a lot of walking. Then a few more got involved. and Dean Windass, John Parkin, and some comedians got involved on the circuit with Norms. And then it's just blew up now. There's a lot of people that we don't know on there that have suffered with trauma, suicide. It's, all, it's a mental health charity, basically. We've Now we've turned it into a charity, so we've just been licensed for a charity. We were meant to be doing Kilimanjaro this July, but obviously we've had to cancel it till next July but we're still hoping to do coast to coast. So it's 90 miles in five days. Uh, wow. Going to be little, yeah, it's going to be a little bit, of, obviously it's depending on if we can by then or not. Um, but there's a lot of plans, you know, a lot of golf days booked in and everything we raise goes to, because this was pre-COVID. So yeah. This was mental health. And then COVID come along and we've seen the great work the NHS were doing. So we said, right, we'll do it for the NHS and for the mental health charities. So it's going to be, it is going to be huge. And there's a lot of people on there now posting videos that we don't know. It's just basically getting out, walking, when you're feeling bad, when you're feeling down, and the benefits of just getting out on a walk with somebody else or on your own and, and how much better it makes you feel. So there's a lot of people putting videos on each day which is helping a lot of a lot of people. Well fair hey,
1: listen absolutely respect no Danny there, <laughs> the team walker um, and stuff like a fair play to so we actually did a, a podcast a couple of a couple of months ago and it was just called football and mental health and we basically died since the fact of that. We're lucky that we, you know, people said football shouldn't be on during the lockdown, but it actually helped a lot of people with mental health. And we actually had a podcast all about that. It wasn't about Liverpool. Um, So we're thinking about doing football mental health part two. We can invite you on for that for sure. Um, And fair play to everything you've done. We know know over January and up until this point, you take calls of people struggling with mental health. You give up your time for that. So um, that's well known. And we just want to say, you know, Half behalf of two massive Liverpool fans and just people who, who relate to you right now, we, I'm not seeing his football a footballer and I'm seeing you as Chris the person that is. is, you know, an advocate for mental health. So just want to say thank you and fair respect to you. But no just problem. before we end, um, now I had five questions. I know Danny's got a couple. Um, I had five quick five questions to ask you, but you, you, you've, you've dived into three of them on me already, oh so I can't even ask them. I've got a couple, I've got a couple of questions that people have asked. Um, the nanny's got a couple and that'll kind of be us. But, so I'm going to go fire into them. Um, so the first question is off Marty Chappell. Um, he's a big listener. Hello, Marty. Um, he asks, you know, in, in as quick as you can answer kind of thing, what was Carragher like in the dressing room? Was he really bad? Supposedly? No, it was
3: brilliant. No, it was brilliant. Demanding, but listen, you don't stay at a club like Liverpool for 17 years unless you are, you know, you love the club and you deserve to be there. So... No, he was. Uh, you had to tell him to zip it sometimes, and he's you know when he was shouting. But no, listen, he absolutely go down is one of the Liverpool legends of all time, and rightly so,
1: hundred percent. And tell me this: um, there was an incident. I mean, this is all rumour, but this is where we get you on to clear this type of thing off. What was what happened with the medal on Scott Carson? So we went as you do with guests. We go on Wikipedia. and It says that you're a Champions League winner at Liverpool. So what happened? We hear that Scott Carson offered you his medal. Or how did that come across? And what happened?
3: Yeah, simple as that. On the pitch at the end, he said, look, you played in a lot of the games, you deserve this. Uh, take my medal. And I said, listen, no, it's yours. You know, you're know, you here on the day. He played against you know Roma as well and a few of the games as well, so he deserved it. And you, you feel, listen, it's difficult and some fans probably won't understand this, but if you don't play in the final, you can play in every game leading up to the final, but if you don't play in that final, that one-off unique game, win or lose, then you, I just didn't feel as I deserved it. And some people might find that mad. I just felt, you know, I wasn't involved, I wasn't in the squad on the day, so I just said Scotty. that's Scotty, we've been friends for years and years, and that's just the type of lad he is, but yeah, I, I said, look, I can't take that, that's yours.
1: Yeah, I think he's at Man City at the moment, isn't he? He's on loan from yeah. Derby at
3: Man City, yeah.
1: Yeah, um, last,
0: best,
3: yeah. yeah, last question,
1: this is like a personal question, we've dived into it a little bit, so you're obviously you're doing a bit of part-time goalkeeper coaching, you're doing, you know, the stuff with the mental health um, and LSC families and stuff, but Here's my question. So last week it was all over Sky Sports News, but I, I can't remember what team it was. It was Newport or something along that. There was a fifty-year-old on the bench. Um, Chris, <laughs> you're thirty-nine years of age. You know what? If, if you were, if, if, a, if the right offer coming, you know, over Preston or say Berry Reformed or a team coming now, do you think you could do a job? And I mean, for me personally, you're thirty-nine, you could probably still have four, or five years as a professional footballer. Would well, that ever be a possibility, or are you happy enough doing what you do?
3: I was thinking about that last night and if I'd still, if, listen, if everything was fine and I wouldn't have suffered with the mental health, I'd still be playing now. Definitely. And I'd still back myself. Could I come back now after being out for four years? Probably not. I I just think it would take too much to get used to, you know, being aged as well. It's different. You're not as though you're 29. So, you know, I'd love to try, uh, but I don't, yeah, I don't think I would be, but I think it would be extremely difficult. But if I wouldn't have suffered with the issues I had, then yeah, I think I, I, well, I know I would be because I'm still fit. You know, I'm still probably fitter now than I was when I was younger but it's just it's a different type of fitness goalkeeping and playing football obviously so but yeah it would, be, it would certainly be interesting but I have been offered a few times but politely turned them down Alright fair enough, fair enough. Right, Danny have you any kind of quick quiet questions
1: before
2: we Yeah so two questions I want to ask Chris just in finishing first one is the classic
3: that lots of people asked who's the best player you've played with who's the best player you played against yeah, good question. So Stevie G, obviously played with and against him. Obviously when I was at Wigan, uh, just incredible uh, player. And then Cristiano Ronaldo was the other one. Oh. when he was at um, when he was at Man U. Yeah, when you seen his name on the team sheet, you thought, please get injured after a couple of minutes and nothing serious. You no, know, nothing serious injury, just a pull or something that puts you out for a week. But yeah, them two were just yeah. I mean, I've been lucky to play. You know, Man U when they had gigs, Scholes, Beckham. You know that that team's frightening. but yeah, Stevie and, uh, and and Ronaldo.
2: That's a good. It's a good couple of names to be able to put in. To be fair. Mm-hmm. And last question would be a lot of people asking again: What do you make of Liverpool season this season, and how do you change a dressing room? Like you've been in loads of dressing rooms over your career. Obviously, there's something going on in the background of Liverpool for it to change so dramatically.
3: How do? How does a dressing room not change? really? No, not really. No, <laughs> the the two biggest things the facts are. The injuries that we've had—it's not an excuse. It's the injuries, but the biggest thing is not having the fans there.
1: Mm.
3: Not having the fans at Anfield is—you know—it changes everything. You don't beat Barcelona 4 0 if if there's an empty stadium. Simple as that. And and the sooner the fans get back, some teams it's worked out for, some teams it's not. You know, the pressure of not playing in front of the home fans has helped some teams, but for us, we miss our fans And, and the injuries. Listen, come on. I mean defensively, if you're going to be successful, defensively, you know, you look at all the teams over the years that have won things. Arsenal, going back to the, you know, the Invincible, Seaman, Winterburn, Dixon, Adams, you know, Chelsea, John Terry and Ashley Cole, Peter Che You look at all the teams that have been successful over the years. It's based on solidarity and defence. We had it when we won the Champions League in the league. You know, not many changes at all in, in that defensive line. This season's just been completely the opposite. And it's derailed and it's tough for the players as well. People have got to realise when you've seen your teammates get injured and, you know, big, big players as well, it's tough. That, you know, you've know, you got obviously a massive connection with them and you, you become firm friends with a lot of the players you play with in, in the squads. So they're the two biggest reasons why Liverpool has struggled this year. The injuries and the fans not being there. Simple as that. There's no, you know, there's nothing going on behind the scenes that a lot of people think the players are not falling out. And also it's extremely tough. Uh, the, to, to be a footballer at the minute, and people say, "Well, you're getting paid so much money," which is easy to throw that the money at, but it's playing in front of empty stadiums. You know, you hear we hear the noise on the on on the TV. They don't. That doesn't get played in the stadiums. You are literally playing in a in a in a noiseless stadium, and that is extremely tough to get going, to get motivated. And again, people say, "Well, you paid that amount of money, you should be motivated." It's got nothing to do with that. Mm. You know, that's the easiest one to throw at players, which is my biggest pet hate. Well, they paid that much, you should get on with it. But it's so, so difficult. You're in a bubble, you can't do anything else. You literally travel to training, you travel home, travel to training, travel to home, can't do anything else, can't do any of the other stuff like a lot of people can't do at the minute. And it is extremely tough and that's when you need your fans there to pick you up and they're not there at the minute. So the sooner they're back, it'll be a different. we'll see a different animal and the sooner the players are fit and we've got a fully fit squad, we'll see the Liverpool that we all know and love. Of course, well, as I say, that, 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 that's a, a great way to end,
1: and we hope but one final little question, Chris, before we go. Next time you're in Ireland, will you come and have a pint with us?
3: In Ireland, yeah, yeah definitely, yeah.
1: Absolutely, yeah, Will. Yeah, so yeah, as I say, we we, oh, we, we said to Neil, and I know you're going to speak so, um, he'll, he'll
3: be home early, though. He can not hold his drink, Neil. <laughs> oh! <laughs> I, uh, admit that as well. I
1: message away to him On Instagram, so I'll, I'll, I'll let him know. About that and send him the podcast. Yes, but mate, yeah, listen, does. Chris, it's been a pleasure. As I say, um, it's been a we've been fanboys. We we watched you. We are of that era with the Champions League, you know, of that season and stuff. And you know, fair play to you. Thanks for coming on, and good luck with all you do. Um, you. And yeah, all I can say is thank you so much. So thank you for listening. To Amo
2: and Danny's Irish and Field Road. Road.